Ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wade Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! This is the Shoeless Goat Podcast. Brent Brown drops the ball! He drops the ball! Three runs will score! You gotta be paping me! What in the hell are you doing? Hello and welcome to the Shoeless Goat Podcast, Ray Cubs, White Sox, and MLB Podcast. I am your host, Nick, and I am joined again by the mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how are you doing? Uh, Nick, you know, I'm glad to be back on here talking some baseball with you as always. Last week got my uh, sports juices flowing again, so I'm uh, ready to get back in the driver's seat here and see where the uh, the Sweet 16 of Chicago baseball teams takes us down this highway towards some remote resemblance of sports. Yeah, I'd be remiss. This is bad radio, but I'm going to show you again my meta level of trolling. I'm currently yep. wearing the 1917 White Sox World Series champion T-shirt because they lost in the first round, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Okay, so you're correct, but uh, to use my spin zone power up, the 2016 was one of my self-appointed wild cards to the tournament, and they shocked everybody by beating the number one seed, so I'll take credit for that one. So addition by subtraction, is that what we're going with? It's a lot of math, but we'll check with the sabermetrics department. So as Pat alluded to, this is the Crosstown Centurion where we are pinning the best 16 Cubs teams against each other and the best 16 White Sox teams against each other to find out who is the greatest of each team and then pinning them against each other again in computer simulations to find out which is the greatest Chicago baseball team of all time. Last week was the first round where we had 32 teams. It was whittled down to 16, which is where we come in today. Pat, any thoughts before we get going? I, you know, I'm interested to see how this goes. I think it's going to be a good day of baseball over here. Um, obviously, the only baseball we have right now is the Korean variety. And uh, like you talked about last week, I don't like staying up till 3 in the morning. So I'm ready to, you know, get down to business and see which one of your teams is going to ultimately fall to the White Sox team in the championship. So I can have virtual bragging rights, much like I did between the years 2005 and 2016. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? That's all i got to ask. Anyway, I think it's <laughs> something witty, but the brain stopped there. I used all my powers on that last diatribe. I would say I was stroking out a little bit, too, at the end of my sentence. Anywho, <laughs> uh, we're going to start off with the Cubs. Uh, it was a pretty dominant first round for the 2016 team, and they lead off the series. Unfortunately or fortunately for them, depending on how you look at it, they are playing mostly against themselves as they match up in the first series against the 2015 team. So a lot of uh, clone confusion going on. But at the same time, if you kind of just listen, I'll try to keep it so I can let you know which year the player is. It's not a perfect system. And if you think I'm confused, I could only imagine the confusion of the players playing against themselves. Anywho, number one seed 2016 versus number nine seed 2015, two of my favorite teams, obviously. Game one, 2015 gets the win. 2015 dominant Jake Arrieta versus 2016 John Lester. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, Jake Arrieta, and Bryant on 2015 all get home runs, and Kyle Schwarber's was of the Grand Slam variety. That pretty much sealed the deal on 2016 John Lester. Game 2, 2015 wins again, 9-5. 
the Jake Arietta versus John Lester again. Of course, you flip the years, so now it's 2016 Jake Arietta versus 2015 John Lester. And as I said, 2015 pitching wins again. And surprisingly enough, Miguel Montero had the three-run homer for 2015 as opposed to the one he actually hit. Well, that was a grand slam, but what he actually hit in 2016 in the playoffs against the Dodgers. So as it stands right now, 2015 is beating the World Series champs two games to nothing. Of course, never stay die. Game three, 2016, comes back and gets on the board with a 7-5 win. Here's where it gets fun. It was a Kyle Hendricks versus a Kyle Hendricks pitching matchup. 2016, Kyle Hendricks goes seven, giving up two, where 2015, Hendricks goes five, giving up four. 2016, Rizzo with the only home run of the game for either side. Again, a 7-5 win, 2015 leads 2-1. Two to one. Game 4, my favorite matchup of the entire series, because it's not in any way confusing, is the 2016 victory to tie it up with the 11-3 victory. John Lackey versus Jason Hamill. Lackey goes 6 innings pitch, gives up only 1 run in 10Ks, probably something he never did as a Cub. Uh, Bryant and Rizzo go back-to-back in a 6-run Cubs first. Of course, they're both Cubs, so a 2016 first inning. And... Kyle Schwarber with another 4-RBI game. So now we're tied at 2-2-2, two to two to two, and back to the original starting pitchers, so bear with me again. 2015 wins this one 9 to nothing. As we saw a lot in 2015, Jake Arrieta was dominant. He went 8 innings pitched, gave up 4 hits and no runs. Starlin Castro and Jorge Soler each drive in three in a yes route. John Lester gets absolutely smoked. This is 2016 John Lester. So currently 2015 has the 3-2 victory. Or lead, I should say. Game 6, 2016, wins this one to tie up the series. Now it's 2016 Jake Arrieta defeating 2015 Lester for the second time. So if you're keeping track of this at home... Jake Arrieta, in both dimensions, is 3-1 against both dimensions, John Lester. Uh, 2015, though, started the game with three in the first, and 2016 responded with two of their own, so it was a pretty nice response, and then they continued to pile on. 2016, Dexter Fowler had four RBI, and 2015, Fowler had a home run, so Dexter Fowler on both sides had a solid game. We go to Game 7. And that's where all the brouhaha, all the crazy, all the nonsense is put to rest as 2016 wins 18-1 in the second of two Hendricks v. Hendricks games. 2016, Kyle goes seven and gives up just one. And 2016, Bryant and Rizzo with five RBI apiece, and they didn't even have to do that. Luckily, it ended the way it ended. Less confusion. There was no ties so we have 2016 winning in seven games. If you can follow me at all, Pat, what are your thoughts? Okay, so it's going to take me a minute to decompress, but my four main thoughts from that series are, number one and most important, my brain hurts. Uh, that was a lot of the same name being thrown around. I'm very confused. Uh, that's number one. Number two, my thought from the beginning of that is was a vision from the first Pokemon movie where Mewtwo makes his Pokemon clones and they're battling like Ash and all them. And it's just like Mewtwo's are much better. That's what I saw going on here in that series. Um, so a nice parallel to the uh, animated Pocket Monster world. Number three, this was the toughest test to our computer, and it passed uh, It passed a seven-game series with two pitching matchups of the same pitcher against themselves, which is pretty damn impressive for our system. Number four, last point, 
that might be the worst game seven of all time. I'm just going to throw that out there. 18 to one is absolutely horrible for a game seven, but I guess that's baseball. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of that uh, Dodgers-Astros game seven uh, where the whole series was pretty great until that last game when mm-hmm. the definitely cheating Astros lit up you Darvish in game seven. But anyway, um, we've gone on enough of Astros rants for now. They'll be back, though. Um, we're going to move on to series two. This is another fun one. The fourth seed, 1907, versus the 12th seed, 2003. Game 1, 1907, wins 5-3. to three. The immortal Orville overall goes 8 and gives up 3 to defeat Kerry Wood. Uh, 2003 had the lead, though, until Wood gives up 3 in the 7th inning. A little questionable decision-making by Dusty not to take him out, but it is what it is. Uh, and Joe Tinker got a triple, which I, I could only imagine at Wrigley was hit directly over Corey Patterson's head. That's kind of just the note I put down there for Game 1. Game two, 1907 wins four to nothing. Mordecai Brown goes eight innings and gets the win. Uh, typical Cubs baseball uh, on both sides, really. Uh, 2003 had 10 hits. 1907 had six. 2003 didn't score, and 1907 scored four. Uh, Johnny Kling, a familiar name, comes up in the clutch with a two-out RBI. They didn't need that many runs to win the game, but he did it twice anyway. Game three, 1907 wins three to two. This is just truly horrible stuff. Matt Clement goes eight and only gives up one run. Uh, so Cubs are up, or I should say 2003 is up in the ninth. Joe Borowski comes in. Sweaty Joe blows the save in the ninth, surrendering two. And the final run was scored on a bases loaded field of choice, <laughs> which seems like the most Cubs way to lose a game ever. Cause the only play is home, right? So unless they try to, finish it with a double play and the guy beat it out like i'm just confused yeah, i i can only imagine if i'm coaching that team that players out in the outfield running suicides for like hours after the game oh absolutely but 2003 would not give up winning game four by a score of four to three um and actually they were 2003 was down one in the bottom of the ninth Eric Harrow singles, Gonzalez singles, and then Damian Miller reaches after outfielder Jimmy Slagle drops a pop-up, and then Kenny Lofton singles to score two, keeping 2003 alive. So a little bit of uh, redemption from the absolute collapse from the night before. Is it enough? Game 5, 2003 wins again, 3-0. Kerry Wood gets his revenge with a complete game shutout and 6Ks, only three hits against his arch nemesis, Orville, overall. Game six, though, 2003, met its match. 1907 wins the game and wins the series by a score of one to nothing. Mordecai Brown says, hold my beer, and returns the favor with a complete game shutout of his own on only 96 pitches, later to be called the Maddox about 100 years later. 1907 scores the only run in the bottom of the ninth, too, so even more heartbreaking on a Johnny Kling single with a man on second which leads me to believe it was hit up the middle to Corey Patterson, who also could not throw the ball, let alone catch it. So 1907 wins in six games. I was a little tough on Corey Patterson, and I always will be. But, Pat, what are your thoughts on that series? Pretty fun and easier to follow than the first one. I can. Yeah, that one was a lot lot different, a lot easier to follow. I just got to say that game three, the game-winning fielder's choice, reminds me of a day when I was playing baseball. I'm on third with one out in the bottom of the, what, seventh. Um, And I get told the next guy's coming out to bunt the runner over. So you're not trying to score. You're staying on third. 
Guy lays down the bunt, and I just bolt for home. Double play to end the game at the plate, and the coach just walks to the parking lot from the field, doesn't even talk to us. So I can only imagine that's what happened there with 2003. <clears throat> Dusty Baker nice. just walks from, from the dugout to the parking lot, just goes home, packs it in for game four. That was Just throws his pack of toothpicks on the ground. That's how you know he was upset. Eric Karros counts them on the ground because he was a little bit uh, of a brainiac himself. And then, yes, game over. <laughs> that was that might be one of the moments of the tournament so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this 2003 team, but they deserve to lose. <laughs> like they just a mental did. error. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to Series 3 of 4. Of course, we're in the uh, each team-specific Elite 8, so each 16 for the entire tournament, so it'll be a lot less to deal with than the previous episode. This is the series we've all been waiting for. Yep. The uh, Series 3 is the 11 seed 1934 versus, versus the fan favorite 14 seed 1885 Chicago White Stockings. And boy, it did not disappoint. Game 1, 1885 gets the win 12 to 8. Pitching was pretty non-existent on either side. Don't really need to get into it. But Cap Anson did have 3 RBI. Tom Burns had 4 to give the 1885 the series opening edge. Game 2, 1885, wins again, four games to one. Jim McCormick goes eight and two-thirds, giving up one run on 122 pitches, and Abner Derry Mabel hits a grand slam in the top of the ninth to give 1885 the 4-1 win. Backs against the wall, take the 2-0 lead. Game 3, 1934, gets on the board, winning 12-10 in 14 innings. Babe Herman with six RBI in the win, and Gabby Hartnett breaks the deadlock with a single in the 14th to score two. 1885 was really close to going up 3-0, but it ended up in extra innings, which is why this series went the way it did, which alludes to my next game for 1934, tying the series with a 10-3 score. Pat Malone goes seven innings and gets the W for the 1934 squad, and they break the deadlock in the last two innings, putting up seven runs. So it was 3-3 until the eighth inning, and then 1934 brought the bats out, now tied at 2-2. Game 5, 1934, wins again a third straight. Pat, it is not looking good by a score of 10-2. to uh, A familiar name, Lon Wernicke, goes the distance, giving up just two runs. And Chuck Klein and Babe Herman with the homers. The Chuck Klein homer, of course, is something we're getting pretty used to. So it's do or die time for the folks that are still getting over the death of Abraham Lincoln. Game 6, 1885, Wins the game 6-4, to four, forcing a Game 7. Jim McCormick does what he does best with a complete game and only with four runs surrendered. He had about 140 pitches, but they kept him in even though he had given up four runs. 1885 um, uh, put up five runs of the seventh to, to even up the series. Silver Flint with two of those RBIs. Have to toss his name in there as many times as we possibly can. So it's down to Game 7. Will the White Stockings, as we hope they will, move on? The answer, yes. 1885 wins 5-4. John Clarkson with the complete game, giving up 4. That seems to be a trend in this series. 1885 scores 2 in the ninth to make the lead 5-2. Then Clarkson surrenders a few in the ninth, but they you know still keep the lead in another 138-pitch event. 1885 wins in 7 games. Pat, I know you have a lot to say about this one. Okay, I, I mean, I love my 1885 guys going on. Uh, but the first thing I want to say in this one, 1934 had a player named Babe Herman. Yes. 
Is that like a store brand Babe Ruth? Because his name was George Herman Ruth. So that was my first thought when I saw that. Like, you know, Tommy the Tiger? That, that's what <laughs> yeah. I viewed him as. Yeah, except he didn't, like, eat, eat hot dogs and drink beer during the games. He, like, <laughs> drank wine and had, like, like ate crepes or something like that. Yeah, definitely. But outside of that, uh, great game for the White Stockings. I'm glad that, you know, in a tournament of uh, 15 Cubs teams and 17 White Sox slash Stockings teams, one of them is staying alive on the left side of the bracket. That's great to see. I'm honestly shocked, though, that they scored 12 runs in that first game because that seems to be the complete antithesis of baseball in those days. But, hey, like I said, anything can happen in this type of tournament. I could look back. I, I didn't count how many non-singles there were. I'm guessing very few. Yeah, that, that's got to be. Uh, maybe triples. They hit a lot of triples back then. But home runs were dishonorable, though. you got to remember that. That's not how you play the game. So I always allude to... I don't know if you've noticed this when you're watching clips of, like, old games from, like, the 30s or 40s. It must be the film, but everybody claps faster. Like, all the fans clap way faster than we (laughs) clap now. And everybody, like, their steps are shorter but faster. That's the two things I've noticed. from. Obviously, it's got to be the film, but it's Mm -hmm. so funny that, like, I was watching... I forgot what I was watching. We were watching old clips of, like, 1940s baseball the other day because what else is there to watch? And... Babe Ruth hits a home run. I turned to my dad. I was like, they just clapped a lot faster back then. <laughs> and they had, a, they had a bigger appreciation for the game. Yeah. I mean, what else are they going to do? Go to the game or, like, wave to a ship as it departs for Europe? Like, those yeah. are the two things you could do for fun back then. <laughs> I, I know which one I'd pick. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Back to it. Series 4, the last of the Cubs Sweet 16. It is the 1945 team. The 7 seed versus the 15 seed 2008. Let's get right to it. Game 1, 1945, wins the game 6-5. to five. 2008 is up 5-1 to one in the ninth. Kerry Wood blows the save, tied at this point. Bob Howery takes the loss. And they bring in Jeff Samarja to get the final outs, and he does so. Game-winning hit goes to Paul, not Connor Gillespie. I think that was just fun to note. In any case, the blown save by, at the time, Scary Wood, as we called him, uh, to surrender the game one to 1945 game two 2008 comes back though wins it five to two Dempster goes eight giving up just two runs Reed Johnson and Soriano with the home runs and Wood comes back the next day with the save so short memory unlike kickers in our in our fine city game three 2008 gets them again by a score of five to four um in a Interesting fashion, down 4-2 to two in the bottom of the eighth. Derek Lee hits a bases-loaded double to score three runs. Uh, High Vandenberg with the blown save. If we're going to announce blown saves on one side, we're going to announce blown saves on another side. High Vandenberg, the proverbial goat, uh, not in a good way. Derek Lee had four RBI in that game. So 2008 takes the 2-1 lead going into game four. Uh, to respond, as this series often showed, 1945 gets the win in Game 4, 6-2. Ray Prim goes 7, only surrendering 1, and a home run by Paul Not Connor Gillespie, Andy Pafko, and Heinz Becker. Uh, Rich Harden goes 4. <laughs> Those goes 4 innings. Oh, I know. Fantastic. Rich Harden goes 4 innings. Uh, he often only went 5 anyway, so this was pretty accurate. Uh, basically a bullpen game after that. And the result of it, the series being tied 2-2. Two to two. Game 5, 1945, wins again to take the 3-2 lead by a score of 7-2. Peanuts Lowry, 
no relation to Jed Lowry, if, if I'm not mistaken, with three RBI. Carlos Zambrano goes five, giving up three, and the bullpen falls apart again. Kerry Wood giving up a couple again, but the lead was already surrendered. It didn't really matter. There was no blown save. Uh, Derek Lee with the only home run of the game between the two sides, so 1945 was doing it a lot um, with the small ball. Game six, though, backs against the wall. 2008 wins 7-3 to force a game seven. Dempster goes eight again, giving up only three. And former Cub and White Sox Giovanni Soto with three RBI. So we go again to game seven. 1945 wins it 7-6 in 11 innings. So game seven goes to extra innings. Where have we heard that before? 2008 was up 6-1 to going into the eighth inning. But they give up two in the eighth. And Kerry Wood gives up three in the ninth to tie it. Lenny Marullo, how you doing? With the game-winning hit in the 11th, utter collapse by 08 and three RBI for Marullo. 1945 wins in seven games. So that is the results so far for the Sweet 16 for the Cubs side. And then that leaves me with the uh, Elite Eight matchups. We have 2016 getting the win, and they will face 1907, so another 99-year difference between those two. And then 1885 will take on 1945, uh, 50-year difference between those two squads to decide who gets in the Cubs final. Any thoughts so far on that last series? Uh, I love the name Peanuts Lowry. Yeah, that's really all I got for that last one. That's just, it's such a great name. That's the last thing. Uh, I'll take away. Oh, I also did not realize uh, Jeff Samarja was in the MLB in 2008, so that was a nice surprise before he got uh, ushered out thanks to the disappearing act of Alfonso Soriano, the first-round MVP. Yes, so Samarja was like a, a bullpen guy. I think he only pitched like one innings max. They were thinking of, they were flirting with the idea of having him as the closer, but he didn't really have any control, and he was nicknamed Gasoline at the time because he was throwing really fast. And also, he didn't have any stamina. So okay, there it goes. So it goes fast. Um, yeah, similar thoughts. Peanuts Lowry, fantastic name. I think it was a great uh, bunch of series. They either went six or seven for all the games. So um, I guess the seeding at this time did not fail us. Um, they were pretty evenly matched going in. Of course, with the computer's help, that's how we got to the second round. So you can imagine these games are going to be closer uh, than the first round. Uh, MVP candidates for the Cubs before we get into the White Sox. A little bit of a meme here, but I said 2015 and 2016 Kyle Hendricks for being able to overcome the mental confusion of pitching against himself in two separate games. 1907 Mordecai Brown for two wins in 17 innings, giving up no runs. Uh, 1885 Abner Derry Maple for that walk-off grand slam in game two, which really set the tone for the rest of the series, despite the fact that it went seven. And Paul Gillespie with two game-winning hits in the final series of 1945. So those are my MVP candidates. Uh, we will have a Twitter poll on them like we did last time, as Pat alluded to, Alfonso Soriano won for the Cubs side, the MVP of the first round, and Frank Thomas won for the Sox side in a more convincing fashion in the first round. So that's it for the Cubs side. Pat, I'm going to toss it your way. We're going to get right into that White Sox side to complete uh, this episode. So speaking of seeding failing us, uh, the second round for the White Sox, the uh, Sweet 16 round featured, let's see, one, two, three, four, five double-digit seeds and only two high seeds won in the first round. That would be the five-seed 1901 team and the two-seed 1906. Uh, without further ado, first matchup of the round is the 16-seed 2006 team 
against the ninth-seeded 1993 team featuring first-round MVP Frank Thomas. So game one was a 2006 win, 9-5. They were pretty much in control of it all the way. They led 5 to nothing after four innings. Uh, 1993 made it a little bit interesting, uh, but then 2006 put the nail in the coffin with four runs in the ninth inning off doubles from uh, A.J. Pierzynski and Juan Uribe. Not much great pitching on either end. Alex Fernandez for 1993 pitched eight and a third, but gave up nine earned runs, so interesting bullpen management there. Game two, 1993, came back and took a win. Uh, they won the game 5-2, to two, led by Frank Thomas hitting a home run in the first inning. Uh, Jermaine Dye tied it up with a two-run homer in the sixth, but 2006 could not score anything after that, and 93 scored three in the eighth to wake up and take the lead, uh, really bringing the series back. Blackjack McDowell was basically flawless, nine innings, four hits, two earned runs. Game three, 2006 won again, 5-1. to one. Uh, They got there by jumping out to a 2 nothing lead after a die home run in the first inning. 1993 was able to cut the lead in half then with a Frank Thomas RBI single. Uh, but then after that, it was basically all 2006. Um, 93 had more hits, 9-6, to six, but they just couldn't capitalize on their offense. Uh, and John Garland was really good in this one, 8-3 with two strikeouts, uh, which... Maybe not the best stat I could have gone with second there, but one earned and nine hits over that eight and a third. Uh, game four, 2006, won the game 3-2, taking a 3-1 lead in the series. 93 drew first blood with a Frank uh, Thomas two-RBI single. Ellis Burks had an RBI single in the fifth, but then it was all 2006. They came back with two runs in the sixth on a Juan Uribe home run and a Canerco sacrifice in the seventh. Not a bad game from Jason Beer on the mound for 93, but Javier Vasquez was better. Bobby Jenks came in, shut the door, got the save. Game 5, 2006, won the series in 5-4-1 win for them. Uh, they took a 1-0 lead in the first. 93 tied it in the sixth, but then they 2006, meet being they, uh, took the lead back for good with a Paul Canerco 2-RBI single in the sixth inning. Uh, Alex Fernandez had his second complete game loss of the series. Uh, Eight innings, four earned, nine strikeouts. Freddie Garcia only pitched five and two-thirds, but the bullpen was lights out there, delivering the 16 seed to the Elite Eight of the tournament. Uh, Maybe the Cinderella of the tournament. Nick, how do you feel they're uh, they're faring so far? Yeah, I mean, I think that... I know you had your system, but it looks like that 2006 saw how you, you know, ranked them and has a little chip on their shoulder, you know, as it goes. So... Uh, is this the end of Frank Thomas in your bracket so far? Or is he in another? Is he in another round? Um, no, we still got the '94 team, but that is the last incarnation, because uh, all the other ones '90, well '93 is now out, 2000 is out, and I, I think he was off the bench on that 2005 team because he was injured most of the year. But yeah, '94 Frank Thomas, the strike version, is the last one left. All right, well, fingers crossed on his because we love seeing Big Frank in this tournament, but the computer will make that decision. We won't. Okay, moving on into our second series on the right side of the bracket. Uh, the 5-seed 1901, the AL champs, the first AL champs, against the 13-seeded 1954 team. 1954 made a statement. They won 6 to nothing. It was really them the whole way. Minnie Minoso had a home run in two RBIs. And Virgil Trucks was uh, dominant on the mound, a nine-inning complete game with only five hits and no earned runs. Uh, 1901, like I just said, only got five hits, no extra base hits, and one of those hits was from their starting pitcher, so just nothing there. 
Game two, 1954, won again, eight to six. They had a four nothing lead after five innings. Uh, and I, thanks mainly to a two RBI mini Minoso triple. 1901 then came right back, scored six runs in the sixth inning to take a 6-5 lead off a hit parade. Um, but then 1954, the, a resilient bunch took the lead back with four runs in the seventh, led by two RBIs from Chico Carrascal. A uh, good matchup on the mound between Bob Keegan and Clark Griffith, but 1954 took the win. Uh, game three, 1954, took a commanding 3-0 lead in the series. Uh, they won 7-4. Uh, it was another back-and-forth game. 1954 had a 2-0 lead. 1901 got it right back, and then 1954 scored a 3. Uh, that was really the only lead they needed in that game. Uh, in an interesting turn of events, Clark Griffith, the Game 2 starter, came in to finish the game on the mound for 1901. So interesting bullpen management. Uh, so Game 4, 1901 finally got something back. It was a quiet game early on. They got one in. They got one in the second. 1954 came back and tied it, and then it was all 1901 from there. Obviously, an eight-one win. Great game for them. They were down three nothing, but at least were able to make a dent in the series. Uh, game five, 1954, quickly shut the door again. Uh, they got out to a two nothing lead in the first inning and never looked back. Um, 1901 was able to get one run, but that was about it. That was literally it. Uh, Virgil Trucks with another dominant start, a complete game, one earned run on five hits with five strikeouts. Uh, Roy Patterson had some bad luck on the mound for 1901, gave up nine hits over seven, uh, but in two earned runs, but there were too many errors, just a bad game for 1901, finishing up a bad series, and the 1954 team moves on. So, Mini Minoso obviously, had five games again, didn't nearly perform as well as he did in the first series, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, the first series was insane. He had 16 hits in five games. He was a big part in games one and two, but then largely uh, disappeared after that. Obviously, Mini Minoso didn't get 16 hits, but this is more of a call-out to those who did vote on the Twitter poll. Uh, how did he not win MVP of round one? I mean, he had 16 hits in five games. I really don't care how many home runs Frank Thomas hit. Think about that for a second. 16 hits in five games. Just something to think about when you're voting next time. Sorry to call you out like that in such an aggressive fashion, but that really chapped my ass a little bit looking at the results of that poll. Uh, as someone who voted for a starting pitcher that lost their series in that poll, uh, yeah, that was a tough one. But I, I was like, when I was looking at MVPs of this round, obviously I'm looking at Mini Minoso stats, and after that first two games I thought he was on another track, but I guess someone else had to carry the load from this time, and they did. You know, obviously... Another dominant series win for the 1954 team. Uh, 13 seed, but they're going to be meeting the 16 seed in the Elite Eight, so maybe my seeding was just horrible. I think you, you know, it's just your inner mid-major fan. We have VCU playing against UMBC, and uh, Texas Corpus Christi maybe <laughs> makes a run later on. We'll yeah, see. It's what the people want. You know, everybody loves the underdog, unless the whole side of the bracket is underdogs left then it's really hard to choose florida gulf coast might enter this tournament at the last second we'll see yeah yeah it's i mean well if you like low seeds we got an 11 14 matchup coming up beautiful let's get to it okay series three as i alluded to the 11 seed 1994 strike avengers against the 14 seeded 1964 team uh, obviously you got an mvp frank thomas but 1964 drew first blood they won game one two to one uh, 1994 got on the board first with a Frank Thomas solo home run, but Gary Peters was lights out on the mound after that. He went eight and two-thirds with four hits and only one earned run. Uh, 1994 had no offense. They had no, they had no answer to his pitching. 
nine, game two, 1964, won two to one again. Uh, they opened the scoring in this one with, on a Floyd Robinson double. He had two doubles in the game. Uh, 1994 got a run back uh, with a Robin Ventura solo shot, but that was pretty much all the offense on the game uh, for both sides. 1964 only had six hits. Uh, 1994 only had three. So just not a, not a good game on either side. Pitching was great, obviously. Uh, Juan Pizarro and Wilson Alvarez both had incredible games, but again, 1964 takes a 2-0 lead in the series. And then 1994 came back and punched them right in the mouth. Uh, they won game three, 13 to 13-1. Scoreless game until the third when 1994 got four runs off Tim Raines and Frank Thomas RBIs. Uh, Darren Jackson had, a, had two RBIs in the inning. Scoring really kept going throughout the game. It was an absolute deluge. Uh, they at one point had a 13 to one lead until 1964, uh, you know, stopped embarrassing themselves and got a run on a Don Buford RBI double, but that was all they could get. Frank Thomas finished the game two for three with a home run and five RBIs in a dominant game three. Game four, another dominant 1994 game. Uh, they won 13 to four. It was close early. 94 had four runs in the second, and then 1964 came right back with four in the fourth, thanks to a Dave Nicholson three-run homer. Uh, but yeah, after that, 1994 broke the tie, scoring nine unanswered, led by a three-for-four effort from Frank Thomas. Uh, 1994 used five pitchers, so not a good pitching outing for either team. 1964 used seven, but offense was the name of the game. Uh, game five, 1994 won 5-1 to to win their third consecutive game of the series to take a 3-2 lead. Uh, scoring opened early on in this one with 94 getting two in the first. 1964, uh, they came back, uh, but then the game was pretty much quiet after that. 94 got three runs in the ninth on an Ozzy RBI and a Julio Franco two-run homer, and that was all she wrote. Jack McDowell was lights out again, only giving up three hits. Uh, game six, 1994, finished the deal. They won six to four. 64 surprisingly got right after Wilson Alvarez with all four of their runs in the first inning, but then 1994 took over. Frank Thomas had a two-run homer in the seventh, and Ron Karkovich had a three-run homer to get the score to six to four. That's where it would stay. Uh, another big offensive game for 94. Wilson Alvarez was able to settle down, uh, giving the strike-shortened season another run into the tournament to the Elite Eight, which, if you're keeping track, the three seeds so far on the White Sox Elite Eight are 16, 13, and 14. You actually love to see it. My big question, or maybe just my big goal here, is to start a riff in your fan base. Frank Thomas, maybe we know so. Who's better? So far, this uh, this bracket has not... Uh, convince me that it's not Minnie Minoso, but I think uh, White Sox fans would take uh, serious homage to that. So I, I would disagree with that. Frank Thomas, to me, is a better player, but honestly, Minnie Minoso is criminally underrated, and I'm glad he's, for whatever recognition he's getting from this tournament, he's finally getting some, because for a dude who's not in the Hall of Fame, uh, it's honestly disappointing. But, hey, maybe we have a Frank thomas Minnie Minoso Final Four matchup t- for all the marbles. I guess we'll have to wait to see that. Yeah, and I'm not here saying that Frank Thomas is better than Minnie Minoso, but I am saying that this tournament would, you know, maybe change some minds on that if this was actually real. Given some answers. That's all I want. Without further ado, we'll move on to the last series of the day. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, this is the two-seed 1906 against the 10-seed 2008. Uh, in a tournament full of high seeds winning, 2000, or 1906 is trying to keep uh, the better the higher rated seeds lower seeds uh, alive uh, any event game one 2008 won five to three 
offensively, they had it all the way. They took a 5 nothing lead until 1906, got three in the 8th. Uh, got there with a home run from Carlos Quentin and pretty big games from Alexi Ramirez and Ken Griffey. Uh, just not really much going for 1906 in that one. Game 2, 1906, the Hitless Wonders won a trademark 1-0 game. There were only nine hits total in the game from both teams, and the only scoring came on a Fred Isbell RBI double in the 6th. Only one player in the game had multiple hits, and that was possibly name MVP Jiggs Donahue uh, for 1906. Pitching, obviously, was great. Ed Walsh hit a complete game with zero earned in three hits. John Danks went seven with only one earned run. Uh, game three in a back-and-forth series in 2008 won 10-3. Uh, they were able to overcome a deficit uh, early on in this one, but ultimately their offense was too much for 1906 to handle. Ken Griffey had two RBIs. Carlos Quentin had an RBI. Canerco had three RBIs. Just a big game all around for their offense. Um, and Gavin Floyd was good enough, only giving up three earned in seven and two-thirds. Uh, game four, 19, 2008, won two-to-one. Uh, 1906 looked like they were cooking early. Uh, they scored in the in the third with a Jiggs Donahue RBI single, but that was about all she wrote for him. Uh, 2008 got two back right after that on an Alexi Ramirez two-RBI single, and there was no runs after that. So 2-1 win, another good pitching performance, but a low-scoring series is what's doing it. Game 5, 1906 wins 4-3. It was a scoreless game until the second when uh, A.J. Pierzynski allowed the first run for 1906 by throwing away a pickoff. Uh, the bad the fielding woes continued of 2008 uh, when 1906 took the lead back 4-2 on a Joe Creedy, a rare Joe Creedy error. Um, 2008 was able to make it interesting with a Carlos Quentin RBI single to get the score to 4-3, but that was about it. Uh, 2008 had 15 hits, but just couldn't get it done. Game 6, 1906, won 3-2, another low-scoring game in what is a serious theme for this series. Uh, they scored first on a Billy Sullivan double playground out. Um, Canerco got 2008 back with two RBIs, uh, but then uh, Ed Walsh slammed the door. Another complete game, only two earned runs and five hits, um, and a Fielder Jones RBI double uh, was able to get 1906 the lead back at 3-2. Uh, so this one, only series on the White Sox side for this round that went to Game 7. Uh, honestly, an instant classic. Uh, this one went right down to the wire. Both pitchers were dynamite. Gavin Floyd went eight innings with three hits, no earned. Uh, Doc White went seven for 1906, no earned. Uh, scoreless game until the top of the ninth when Orlando Cabrera had an RBI infield single to score Alexi Ramirez. Bobby Jenks came in to slam the door shut. Uh, perfect inning out of him. And 2008 won the series in seven games, becoming the third out of four double-digit seeds from the White Sox side to make the White Sox Final Four. First and foremost, pour one out for Jiggs Donahue. Yeah, tough loss. No, you know, uh, you had your pick on my side of the bracket, 1885. I think uh, 1906 was mine because they, in fact, beat uh, the Cubs in the World Series. So if anybody's going to test my eventual winner, it's going to have to be the 1906 team, but apparently not. My other favorite thing about this is Carlos Quentin moves on. Love yep. Carlos Quentin. I, I love the fact that when he was being interviewed, when he first came over to the White Sox, uh, the interviewer spoke to him entirely in Spanish, to which Carlos Quentin had to interrupt him to say, I don't speak Spanish, dude. <laughs> Look it up. It's fantastic. Stanford man needs to learn Spanish. But in any case, super exciting uh, round from the White Sox side. Who are your uh, let's let's go with final thoughts on this side of the bracket first, and then we'll go into your MVPs. 
So, yeah, obviously my first thought is my seeding decisions were horrible. A lot of high seeds, a lot of upsets, but, you know, maybe that's just what I needed to upend some of my conventional wisdom about the franchise. Like I said, the highest seed remaining is the 10 seeded 2018, which is just crazy. Obviously, the 94 team uh, not being able to finish their season kind of complicates their seeding, but still, definitely an interesting Final Four we got on the south side of the bracket. Definitely. So... Last but not least, who are your four MVP candidates that will be voted on by the fans on Twitter? Yeah, so first I got Virgil Truck, starting pitcher for the 1954 team. He went 2-0, uh, two complete games, a .5 ERA, only one earned run in those 18 innings and only 10 hits, so just dominant on the mound, big part of them advancing. Uh, again, 94 Frank Thomas, well, a different Frank Thomas, 93, won the MVP of the first round. This one went batted 545 in this round with three homers and 10 RBIs. Uh, third candidate, Ed Walsh, another starting pitcher in a loss. Second uh, round in a row, I've had one of those. 2-0, two, two complete games in a 1.0 ERA with only eight hits allowed. And then fourth and finally, Bobby Jenks for the 2008 team. Three innings pitched, three saves, no hits, no walks. And the reason he's here is I can just imagine that first game he entered. Uh, the 1906 team, here, here come the boom coming with a... Uh, Ozzy doing the I want the big guy motion. This 300-pound guy trots out of the bullpen throwing like 102 on the gun, and they're just like, what is going on? Yeah, probably twice the size of anybody on their team. They probably all weighed 135 pounds. So, Just like, oh, my God. And they obviously did not get over that fear as they did not get a single hit or walk off him the entire series. So, yeah, Bobby Jenks uh, is my last MVP candidate. Just imagining Space Jam. It's him, the killer. <laughs> <laughs> I have his talent. <laughs> okay, so that concludes our Sweet 16 episode of the Crosstown Centurion. Announcements, we will be doing the Elite Eight and the Final Four combined next week. And then after that, we'll be, we will be live streaming on Twitch. So follow us on Twitch at Sports on Tap Chicago, all one word. That's our Twitch. You can follow live with us as we simulate the final round, which is the Cubs winner versus the White Sox winner. You're not going to want to miss that for a couple of reasons. One, you'll get to know the answer of our age-old question before it gets released a couple days later. And two, you get to see what we actually look like. So that's a very exciting moment as well. Um, in any case, that's kind of how our schedule is working out. Pat, are you as excited as I am to figure out what the hell this is, is going to happen with all this? Yeah, like, I honestly, I feel like your side, there's some chalk going on. And then on my side, there's absolute chaos. So I'm definitely looking forward to see how those two things meet in the middle. <laughs> the bracket has been busted on at 35th and Shields. You can listen to us at uh, SantaChicago.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere. Uh, we'll be uploading this episode pretty soon, followed up by a Twitter poll with the MVPs. Pat, it was a pleasure. I'm really excited to find out how this plays out. Thanks for joining me again for this exciting tournament. Yeah, you know, great talking as always. And without, uh, you know, sports, this is helping fill a void. So pleasure's all mine. Absolutely, and remember, everybody, Yadi Molina is not a Hall of Famer. We'll hear, we'll be here next week for the Elite Eight and the Final Four episode. Go Cubs! Go White Sox! Go baseball! Go Chicago!
Come on, baby, don't you make me laugh. 